Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. This time, a wrestler on the skids, a quick-change artist in an alley, and a girl with an eye for angles all met destruction. Because a hundred thousand easy bucks caught him in a stranglehold which none of them wanted to break. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Bye-bye. 
got underway and Peachy started out of his corner. A good-looking brunette shouted something at him that stopped him cold. He turned to glare at her and Caesar slapped a hank on him that put Peachy flat on his back for ball number one. Three minutes later, with his head in the killigan, Peachy was well on his way to the mat again for ball number two, which was enough for me, so I got up to leave. The brunette, I noticed, was leaving too. And at the end of the exit tunnel, we came out side by side. You got a mat? Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Thanks. It's a mess, isn't it, huh? What's a mess? <laughs> Where you things are going inside there. Uh, Each you ought to change his line of work, don't you think? Well, what's it to you? A laugh so far. What's it to you? You said something to him that knocked him for a loop, baby. What was it? A personal matter. Oh, how personal? Oh, about like that. <clears throat> Thank you, and step down, Philip Marlowe. And then you'd better step out, too, or I'll whistle for a John Dobb. Nighty-night, no, day. Saying she flashed a couple of daggers at me from her snapping black eyes, front on four and a half inch red, patent leather heel, and was gone. So I drove up to Hollywoodland and the house of 2000 Beachwood Drive, where I was to meet my client, Manny Saber. The house looked like a two room cottage for the street, but it ran for three stories down the back side of the hill. And all I did was touch the bell when the door flew open. Hey, you're Marlo, am I right? Come on in, Marlo. I'm Manny Faber, head of Faber Transcriptions Incorporated. Produced radio shows, you know. Yeah. So you saw him, eh? You saw that big, crooked, four-fleshing, stupid, mat-pounding mastodon that calls himself Johnny Peach Keen, huh? Yeah, I saw him. Yeah. Oh, have a chair. No, thanks. Well, what do you think? You just summed it up. What's that got to do with your 100,000 bucks, Mr. Faber? You haven't seen the late editions? No. They're full of it. Peachy Keen is suing me for 100 Gs for slander. <laughs> How can you slander a guy like Peachy? It's impossible. I know that, and you know it. But does a court of law know it? No. In fact, they're going to make it stick. Well, how'd it happen? I'll tell you. A very sweet guy named Frank Gaynor. Yeah, I know. I'm a sports commentator. Yes, yes. He's been doing five a week on my label and going big. But three days ago, what we've been expecting for months finally happened. Fred sold a weak kicker. And just like that, he dropped dead on the beat. Yeah, I read about it. Well, the Frank always kept five broadcasts ahead, see? Made tape recordings in his own little studio. So I've been running his last five shows as a final tribute to him. Well, what happened? Uh, yesterday, the whole 15 minutes of his broadcast was devoted to ripping apart John Peachy Keen. Here, listen. Uh, I've got the tape here on the machine. Mm. This is one part. Of light on the sports world. And furthermore, I have proof that Get John Peachy Keen has sold out to the highest bidder in small-time gambling circles in his last three matches. Now, I know for a fact that he has become so blatant in his underhanded dealings that even as dubious a business as professional wrestling cannot stand the stink. And officials have threatened to bar him from the ring. Strong I can show beyond a doubt that John Peachy Keene has falsified medical reports to evade tough competition, and that he eventually... Yep. Yeah. It goes on like that, Marlowe. Some of it opinion, most of it fact. And it's the fact that my lawyers tell me I've got to find the proof for or be a dead duck. That's why I asked you to come up here. I... Oh, excuse me. Sure. It's probably Ruth, Frank's wife. Nice show, Mr. Shake hands with Mr. Marlowe. He's the detective I told you about. Uh, Mrs. Keener, Marlowe. How do you do, Mr. Glad Marlo? you, Mrs. Keener. Manny, here's the key to Frank's private studio at 6122 Sunset. It might be a good place for Mr. Marlowe to start. Yes, all his files and equipment are there. Frank didn't like to work at home or at my plant on the strip. Wanted his own private setup. Uh, we looked there, but maybe we missed something. Okay, I'll see what I can find. Oh, by the way, do either of you happen to know a good-looking brunette connected in some way with Peachy? No. 
But he's quite a ladies' man, I understand. Why, Marlowe? Uh, just a hunch. I saw him talking to one tonight, a fireball. May mean nothing. Well, I hope you'll be able to locate the proof of Frank's statements, Marlowe. We've got to find it for Frank. Uh, <clears throat> also, it'll break my heart to pay a hundred grand to a no-good meat heaver named Peachy Keen. I promised Faber I'd keep in touch and let. I found Gaynor's little recording studio tucked into the second floor corner of a small office building on Sunset. Unlocked the heavy soundproof door and went in. The room had a busy, cluttered look as though Gaynor himself had just stepped out. A row of filing cabinets and a desk sat along one wall and opposite them. The glassed-in booth with the tape recorders and microphone by which the solitary sportscaster had canned his radio program. I dug through the files and found a folder labeled John Keene. It held only a sketchy history of the wrestler. Some publicity pictures and a few clippings, one of which rated a long second look. Because it was topped by a picture of the same brunette I'd seen at the ringside. It was Captain Carla Bennett, Reeves for West Coast. I started to read the story when there was a sound at the door behind me and the lights went out. Don't move, mighty. I'll kill you on the spot if you do. Up against that window, you make a perfect target, you know. Don't try anything, kid. What do you want? More than I'm getting, that's what. Entitled to it, I am. Service is rent, what's side. I can't help you, Buster. You've come to the wrong man. No, but not to the wrong place, huh, mate? So, first things first, like I always say. Get around, mighty. That's right. Buster, get me. Sleepy boy. Showing up here to put this. Ooh. <coughs> put the slug on me. Limey? Yeah. Who was it? Why'd he slug you? Good question, Faber. Hey, does the name Carla Bennett ring any bells? Carla Bennett? Yeah. No, no, I never heard of her. I. Huh? Oh, just a minute, Marlowe. Here's Ruth. Huh? Marlowe, I remember that name. Yeah. I'm sure Frank interviewed her once. Carla Bennett used to be Mrs. John Keene. Peachy's ex wife? Yes, I'm positive. Why is she mixed up in this? I don't know. Limey, who slugged me, apparently took a newspaper clipping about it when he left. At least it's gone. Marlowe, this Limey, was that all he was after? Uh, he said he wanted more than he was getting. Hey, but look, paper made this call. What do you want? To tell you that he'll be out checking on a few things himself. That's all. Oh. By the way, Ruth, any idea where this Bennett Dane might be found? No, I haven't, Marlowe. Oh. I think she was staying at some woman's hotel on Vermont Avenue when Frank interviewed her at that time. Vermont. But that was Maybe she's a lady of habit. I'll try it anyway. Thanks, Ruthie. There were three exclusively female hotels on Vermont. The second one I called had a Carla Bennett registered. I went out to my car and babied my aching head down Vermont to the Victoria Plaza, ladies-only hotel. The lobby was done in ivory and pink with desk clerks to match. And the nameplate tagged as Mr. Seymour Pratt. I started over, but stopped when I spotted about an acre of peach-colored suede coat wrapped around John Peachy Keene himself, lumbering up the stairs at the back of the lobby. Mr. Pratt saw him at the same time and darted from behind the desk like an angry canary after a rhinoceros. 
Just a minute, you. This is the ladies' hotel. So what? I got to see the one in 212. Not this way, you don't. Why, it's after midnight. If Miss Bennett wishes to come down to the lobby, that's her affair. But no men are allowed upstairs after 10 p.m. Okay, okay. How can I get in touch with you? Use the house phone, naturally. Over there in that booth. I'll go right back to the board and plug you in. I'll be with you in just a moment, sir. Ducky, I'll wait. A call for you, Miss Bennett. Good listening, huh? Now, see, here, you know perfectly well you're not supposed to come back to this desk. This is for employees only. What about eavesdropping? Is that for employees only, too? Oh, uh, why, how dare you Save it, Seymour. Guy in the booth there is a professional wrestler. If he finds out you're listening in, he'll tear your arm off and beat you to death with it. But let me take over here. Give me the earphones. Now, wait Come on, give it to me. Okay. Now, sit there like a good boy. Keep the key open and your trap shut. No surprise. Where are you now, John? In the lobby, in the phone booth. You better come down, Carla. No, no John, I'm tired. Will you call me tomorrow? No, wait a minute. What's the... What do you mean by that crack you made tonight when I was in the ring? Just what I said. I want a nice big slice of that hundred thousand you're getting from Manny Faber. Why, uh, you're crazy. What makes you think I'd give you one lousy penny? <laughs> you will, gladly. You see, John, I know all about those visits you made to the Lyceum Theater. Bottle's come back to L.A., hasn't it, darling? Why, you sneaking... Oh, shut up. After the life you led me for four years, you big ape, I'm entitled to all I can get. And that'll be plenty. So I advise you to run right back now and tell your friend that I know all about your little scheme. And talk it over good, John. I'll be waiting to hear from you. All right. I'll do just that. And you're sure going to be sorry you stuck your nose into this one, Carla. Real interesting. Are you quite, quite finished now? Yes, and you were a big, big help, Mr. Pratt. Oh, there he goes. Peachy Swake told him all. So long, Seymour. <laughs> The second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Horace Height and his famous Youth Opportunity Program have joined Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen, Red Skelton, Jack Benny, and the other top-ranking entertainers who make CBS Sunday nights a must. Enjoy these 30 minutes when Horace Height takes over on most of these same stations Sunday night this fall. Tune in, tune in this fall for the shows that you love best of all. Listen carefully. Here's the address. Now, with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Stranglehold. When Peachy Keene slammed out of the phone booth, he was burned to a crisp. He stomped out of the woman's hotel via the back door that opened out of the parking lot. When I got there, it was already out of sight. I stopped in the shadows to figure out which way he'd gone. Skip that as the back door opened again. This time, it was Carla Bennett. She ran across the lot, hopped into a new green convertible. She got as far as switching on the lights before still another character planted into the headlight beam like a veteran hand, making for a stage center. Miss Bennett! Hey, Miss Bennett, wait! I gotta talk to you! I couldn't hey, tell Bennett. where the first one came from. I only heard him. It brought the little man up on his toes and arched him like a drawn bow. <laughs> I saw the flash of the second one. It came from the alley and crumbled into a pile. A moment later, a more roared, and I ran to where I could see even a pair of taillights twisting onto the side street. It was all the good it did me. Went back to the body of the little man as Carla Bennett climbed out of her car. She was white and shocked, and the headlights and makeup was garish. The lungs on a clown. The back alley harlequinade was suddenly very grim. 
They were shot in the right in front of me. Who's the little guy, Carla? I, I don't know. I never saw him before. I... You know my name? Yeah. I met at the wrestling arena earlier tonight. You remember? Marlowe, private detective. Now, come on, Carla. Let's have it. What's his name? I don't know, I tell you. Okay. We better find out fast. Let's take a look at his wallet. No! It's none of my business. I'm getting out of here. Wait a minute. He wanted to talk to you pretty badly, baby. Very likely about a hundred grand. Huh? If I were you, I'd stick around. You've got awfully big ears, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah. Better to hear phone conversations. What? Guy's an actor. He's got an equity card. Name is Seth Cameo. Mean anything? Not to me. Unless... Unless what? Unless he happens to work at the Lyceum Theater? You said, Carla, Vorkel's back in town, and that brings up another point you better... Hey, what's going on out here anyway? I thought I heard oh. shots. You did, Pratt. They came from the alley oh, there. Oh, so it's you again. I might have... That man. That man there on the ground. Good heavens, is... Is he dead? Yeah, he's murdered. Oh, no. Not I'm going with you. Listen, Big Ears, I can take care of myself. Will you be here? That's not the point, sister. I still want to talk to you. Get in. I'll go out that way to the street, not too fast. All right. Since you're running things, where are we going? Lyceum Theater. On the way, you can tell me why your ex-husband Peachy's been hanging around there. I don't know why. Who's a friend he's been seeing? Was it Cameo? I don't know that either. Now, look, for Pete's sake, do I have to draw you a picture? A man was shot down right in front of you. Doesn't that convince you? Bucking the same opposition, baby, and believe me, this is no time to hold out. Not in this league. I'm not. All right. Well, that stuff you overheard on the phone was pure bluff. I accidentally ran into John a couple of days ago near the stage door of the Lyceum. He, well, he acted funny like he was waiting for somebody and very nervous about it. You didn't see who it was? No. I waited until three girls and two men had come out one after another, but they were cagey. I couldn't tell which one John was waiting for. Then I heard about this slander suit of his, and I figured something was screwy. You took a swing in the dark tonight and connected, huh? Good and solid. When I told him on the phone to go back to his friend, I knew he'd be just stupid enough to do it, and that's why I came out so fast. I wanted to follow him and find out who else was involved before I got in too far. You're already in too far, baby. You got more nerve than good sense, even for a hundred grand. You don't believe me? Ask Cameo. There's the theater park here. We'll walk over. Look, tell me something, Big Ears. Suppose Seth Cameo did work here. What's it going to prove? All depends on what we find to go with it. He was killed to keep him from upsetting the apple cart. One way he could have done that would be to have proof of what Frank Gaynor said in his broadcast about Peachy. Sure, but fitting a vaudeville actor at the light game into that spot doesn't make sense. No, but... Yeah, there it is. Cameo's placket. We were right. Yeah. Seth Cameo, the one-man all-star cat. See Lionel Barrymore, Betty Davis, Harry Drucker... Humphrey Bogart, Dennis Cagney, and many others in East Bend played in a split-second changes by the world's most versatile one-man cat. Sure, he was a mimic. A guy like that would have dialects, lots of them. So? So maybe Seth Cameo was the boy who slugged me in Gaynor's studio. He was careful to turn out the light first, then he threw that limey jive at me to toss me off the track. And what's more, he... Oh, we got company. Where? The little geeker over there. What are you doing here? Look, Pop, it's important. We've got to find out right away. No, I'm sorry, sonny. Can't do it. Look, I... 
I sagged down under what tried to catch my breath. I saw something that brought me right back to my feet again. An illustrated program from the King's Theater in Buffalo that gave me a new slant on the whole mess. It billed Seth Cameo as the man with a thousand voices, the perfect mimic. And the actor had followed him for a 30-week run with a girl whose face I knew well. I ran out of the theater into the nearest cab stand where I sent one driver to get the police over to the theater and with another, I headed for Manny Faber's place on Beachwood in what I was positive would be another murder. When I got to the front door, I knew there was no need to hurry. It was all over. Come on in, Marla. I've got news for you. It was Carla with a gun in her hand. On the floor in the corner, her face tight with pain with Mrs. Ruth Gaynor glaring hate up at me like a wounded panther. There she is, Marla. I recognized her as soon as I saw her. She's the one Peachy was waiting for outside the Lyceum Theater. They've been working together all this time to frame that slander suit against Faber. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I didn't expect to find you like this. What happened? She knew I recognized her and pulled this gun on me. One she used on Seth Cameo, no doubt. Huh? Uh-huh. She was going to use it on me, too. But I was way ahead of her. She's only in love with John Peachy Keen, but I was married to him for four years, and you don't live with a professional wrestler that long without picking up a few tricks. They call you the weaker sex. <laughs> What is it, Ruthie? Your elbow? Is it broken? Let me alone, you two-bit flatfoot. I'll call a doctor and get you fixed up. For one reason only, I don't even like to see a black widow spider suffer. More coffee, Miss Bennett? No, thank you, Miss Bennett. Well, I don't blame you. I've got no appetite either. You know, Marlowe, I always liked Ruth, and I thought she liked me. As long as you represented a buck, she did. And I've got to admit that she and the wrestler were clever, though. That stunt almost worked. She was clever. John Keene is 225 pounds of solid jerk. Yeah, it was all her idea. She was in love with Peachy, and when Frank died, she saw a great opportunity. Especially with that mimic being in town. Sure, Seth Cameo is an old friend of hers. She and Peachy wrote a highly slanderous script. She got Cameo to record it on Frank's machine, imitating Frank's delivery. Yes, and I broadcast it and stabbed myself in the back. Exactly. And we'd never found out any of this if a couple of other characters hadn't tried to cut in. First cameo, who thought he'd been cheated when he learned the job he'd done was worth a hundred grand. Ruth had to shoot him to keep him quiet. Second little caller here. Oh, Marlowe, please. With me, it was just good, healthy spite. Spite, huh? What's stronger, baby, spite or dough? What? See what I mean? Good night, Mr. Faber. Good night. Come on, Carla, let's go. Beachwood Drive, high into the Hollywood Hills. A park where we could look out over the sparkling, sprawling city. Then we talked about color, her life, relative values, the city below us, and the dark hills above. And then, as we watched the first faint glimmer of dawn rise in the east, we both realized something. Not original, not very complex. Certainly not sophisticated, but very gratifying. In the final analysis, the best things in life, we both agree.
adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janis, Ted Bonelt, Charlotte Lawrence, Barney Phillips, Tony Barrett, Peter Leeds, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oron. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... I didn't know it, but I was caught in a smokeout that led from a search for a lady in black. Past murder at a highway inn, a gunfire in a crumbling warehouse. And all for a girl, already dead in the mall. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
Uh, where you been, Marlowe? Don't you ever check in at that office of yours? Not on days like this, Matthews. They don't give me a chance. What's up? Tell me all you know about Vera Hamlet, Bill. Who's Vera Hamlet? A girl. No fool. Are you real sure you don't know her? Positive. Am I supposed to? Uh-uh. Maybe she used another name. Pretty blonde, about five, six, a sweet kid, apparently. I can think of a lot of women who fit that description, Matthews. Yeah, you could. But mm-hmm. this one wrote you a letter yesterday. I didn't get it. Then I haven't been in my office at all today. Why? You wanted your help? How do you know? Well, we picked it up from the imprint of an open pack of stationery in our apartment. Oh. Uh-huh. Better come down and take a look at it, Bill. Take a look at it? Where is she? In the morgue. Oh. She was struck by a car last night. Accident? What makes you ask that, Marlowe? Your dubious tone of voice, Matthews. Well, was it an accident? I guess so. Maybe I've been a cop too long. I get suspicious myself on dark nights. I can understand it. Come on down, Phil. Right away, I'll meet you there.
Since the curvaceous blonde beauty Vera Hamlin outside her lover's Brentwood home late last night. If that's journalism, I'll eat my bag. Keep reading. You're a cop, not a critic. Yeah, but I got tape. The lady in black will appear at police headquarters at 9 o'clock to reveal license number and description of the murder and the shocking death which police have already labeled accidental nuts. Come on, Muller. That's all I'm sorry, Matthews, because the way things were breaking, the Vera Hamlin deal was a cinch to become one of those involved school affairs. But nothing goes according to the book, and I was glad I never got a letter. Now it was none of my business. All I wanted to do was drop Matthews off, get away from the whole thing, and try to forget about it. But when we piled up behind the waiting squad car at headquarters, a gang of night beat photographers raping the stairs. Pop, don't give you a right. Lieutenant, is your witness going to show? It's nine on the button. Where's the lady in How do I know? I didn't find out there was a witness until I read it in the channel. Yeah, that was a dirty trick. Hi, Abbott. Hi, Abbott. You're an old-timer, Abbott. You guys ought to keep talking like the journals work in line. They just make it tough on everybody. Oh, don't blame us for that. Yeah, you're going to keep up. I'm on them. You blame them? You know as well as I do, the journal picked up that witness right here. Kept her under wraps until they had time to break the story. Well, he shouldn't let it throw him. You know, guys like that usually hang them. Sure, sure. after the damage is done. Now I've had enough today, Matthews. Besides, nobody in City Hall signs my check. Good night. Oh, 
Marlowe and tonight's story, The Smokeout. Well, what's it this 
time. Still brought so simple as he is? No, she isn't. That's funny. No. I don't think so. I only think you're funny. The panic, Marlowe. Uh, Moon and I have been watching you comb that gravel out there searching for the key. We couldn't catch the chatter, but she certainly made you look stupid. And just so you don't go on looking that way, don't bother playing so wide-eyed about Brasso being in here either. You see, I know you know he isn't. <laughs> it won't work, sonny boy. Maybe a little pressure will. Uh, I doubt it. I don't bend these, Marlo. Also, I don't happen to know where Brasso went. But just so nobody gets too upset or quick with the gun, maybe we ought to go back over to the bar to chat. Moon's expecting me. Try it. It's cozier there. It won't be. Once the cops start pouring in. Incidentally, it makes it your turn not to play dumb. I mean, Ernie Baggett being very dead out in the back. Stephen <laughs> Stephen. Hi, Marlo. Yeah. Okay. I know about Baggett. From Brockton? I said I heard you. <sighs> nice night. Marlo. You know, Skipper, you're making a big mistake. Expecting Brasso can't pay off anymore. You said I was protecting him. I worked for Dave Brasso, period. Maybe he knocked off a couple of people, and I'm not saying he has. It's got nothing to do with me. What's done, done. Which doesn't include the girl, huh? That witness? What's the difference? What happened to her? She's living on borrowed time right now, anyway, look at her. Why? Because of what she knows? No, no. Because of the way she handles what she knows. All that jab in the papers. Now she's lucky those three shots that were thrown at her only came out of a pistol. Could have been a howitzer, considering the advance notice she gave. Hey, Moon. What? The cops here yet? No, they ain't. I read the school just five minutes, ten minutes ago. I sure wish they'd get here. Uh, don't worry, they will. Tell them I'm gonna be. Hey. Hey, private detectives. Come out of it. What's up? Around here, simple nothing. Nothing at all. Where are you going? 77 Market Street. The Brasso Produce Company. I think it's where both your boss and the lady in black are going to get together. And what gives you that idea? A hunch, Sibyl. Just a hunch. Goodbye. Russell Produce Company was a half a block of corrugated metal warehouse crushed behind a wide loading ramp, which at 2 a.m. bustled with enough noisy fresh vegetable business to turn night into day. I was out of my car, clear of the whirling electric hand I kept wondering how a guy who built an outfit like this single-handed could have possibly made the mistake I figured was his. I stopped wondering when I faced it. It was stolen from a hawk, pressed itself close to the inside of the cage and yelled at me. Well, what is it, mister? Plug up that thing. I'm busy here. Wait, me! Get anyone out now! I didn't want to be interfered with. I never 
not under vital statistics. Uh, Marlo, one way or another, my crazy plan has worked, right? I guess so. Well, then tell me. Now that Stipple's caught and well, it's all over, am I supposed to feel good? I don't know, baby. Maybe that's what's so screwy about revenge. Call the permanence of a smoke ring, even when you're positive it's justified. Smoke out. One, two, three, four. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.